involved in, and indeed Angela, if she were here, uh, just they've been um, trying to encourage the prophetic and other things in Scotland for so long, and uh, as well as in other nations, and they hold such an integrity, and it's great to see this coming together with, uh, where's Hannah? I can't see Hannah. Hiya. Oh, there she is. <laughs> yeah. Remember meeting Hannah a few years ago, and I was just saying to my wife uh, this afternoon, having been here this morning, you, you've just grown so much in the Lord. And it's uh, just wonderful to see. I don't mean you were nowhere when I first met you. I don't mean it to say that. Know. But uh, just to see the way the Lord has blessed you and prospered you and brought you up. It's uh, really wonderful to see. I wonder if we could have a, a, the photograph up just. Uh, this, is some, this is just a photograph. It's on my phone. Uh, if we can get it out of a, a painting that somebody actually uh, did for me at New Wine. Carol referred to a, a conference we were sharing together at New Wine. And it's really a storyboard, and it's relevant to what we're doing today. It's a developing storyboard. Uh, the first Jesus there on the left, uh, that's so often what we're like when he finds us. We're just either dead or lifeless or whatever. And maybe the church can be a bit like that as well. And then can you see what's happening in the middle picture? Uh, Jesus is actually speaking into the lamb's ear. And uh, the lamb's beginning to hear the voice of Jesus. You hear, see what's happening in the third picture because the lamb is hearing the voice. Now the eyes of the lamb are seeing what Jesus sees. And uh, I guess that's the hope of us coming together today. That somehow we'll have no fear uh, to hear from one another and to work out uh, what Jesus is saying. And uh, the idea is so that we can see what Jesus sees. And uh, what he sees as he looks out perhaps in this uh, land of Scotland. Uh, many of you here will be prophetic, and uh, I was just thinking of that uh, with regards to uh, this day. Uh, being prophetic can be quite awkward, uh, in a sense, in the church, and I think that's for uh, a couple of reasons. I, I felt the Lord gave me a, a dream and a picture uh, as I was thinking towards uh, this day. And the dream was of, um, I, I was striking a bell that was about to sound for one o'clock. And uh, I've asked Heather if he knows about these things. I don't see her just now. But Heather tells me that um, the number one is to do with the, the Father. So I felt the dream was about hearing something from the Father. But in the dream, I, I struck the bell just before one o'clock Sunday. And I think that's the purpose of the prophetic. That before God does something, then he shows us. But the trouble is that the prophetic can sound just a fraction ahead of everybody else. And uh, so you're singing a sort of half note ahead. And that can actually be quite irritating for people. <laughs> so there's a sort of irritation value about the prophetic because you're sensing ahead of season what the coming season is about. And maybe you've experienced that in your own prophetic ministry, that uh, you almost sense where the Father is going but it's quite difficult to get a hearing because you've heard ahead of season. The other thing that the Lord gave me was when I was praying about today, and it, it took me back in memory to uh, when Morag and I and family lived in Orkney. Uh, that's where uh, I began my ministry, just in a small island with about 300 people. And uh, the Orkney farmers were brilliant. They, they, they didn't need to listen to the radio to, to get the weather forecasts. They didn't need to watch the TV. They just sort of opened their door and sniffed the air and looked about. 
and they knew what was coming. And that's a bit like the prophetic as well. You just get annoying in your door. You just sniff the air and you somehow know what's coming. But it can seem like you're speaking about a different season. Because you can look out the door and the weather seems fine, but you're sniffing. I'm sensing rain's coming. Or you look out and it looks pretty overcast, but you sniff and you think, no, it's not going to rain today. And it can seem that what you're saying is a bit out of sync. Now, I say that partly to warn you, because when you come on at the end of the day as a prophetic person, you can seem a bit like an uncle at the end of a wedding that suddenly gets up and decides he wants to say something. And it's totally out of kilter with everything else that's gone on during the day. Um, I'm glad to say what I've got to say is not out of kilter, but it might be a bit irritating. <laughs> and you might wish for the end, I, I wish you just sat down and, and hadn't got up and spoiled the beauty. So let me tell you what I think I've heard. And um, uh, basically I'm a pastor teacher um, with a sort of prophetic thing going on there as well. And I think what I heard was this, and this is the way it works for me. It works the same way in teaching and preaching and so on. I just really asked the Lord if he's got anything to say, and there's never come a day when he hasn't had anything to say. Uh, I don't know what I'd do if that day came along, but uh, I think this is what he said. And this sounds slow and blue, but just hear it, and I'll try and unpack it a bit for you. I think what he's told me is the gods of Greece and Rome are rising again. The gods of Greece and Rome are not dead. The gods of Greece and Rome are rising again. Now that sounds like a bit of a prophetic riddle and often prophetic stuff is a bit of a riddle and we have to uh, think about it. But I think the Lord did give me understanding of what that was about. I, I want to focus on the word Father because I think as we focus on the word Father we'll see that there's a change of season coming. But the word Father in relation to God, obviously it's very strong in the ministry of Jesus, but it was as though in the church it came to particular focus back in the mid-90s with the move of God that we associate with Toronto. And everybody knew about the falling and the laughing and the animal noises and so on, but if you'd asked the Toronto folk themselves, they would have said, it's nothing about these things. It's actually about the father's kiss for his children. It's actually about people coming into a deep awareness of the father heart of God and the father's love moving from here to here. And that happened for millions of people, I would believe now, in so many nations. And if you like, the, the theme of these days, I'll, I'll give you a typical sort of meeting for these days. It was somebody would preach and share about their dysfunctional background. And then somebody would get up and play very melancholic violin music. <laughs> and over that very melancholic music, somebody would be intoning sort of heart-rending truths. And you know, to be honest, even, in the, even the dogs in the area started to wail. <laughs> because it was all aimed at inner healing. Now friends, I was inner healed through the Toronto blessing. But the word Father in the ministry of Jesus 
was not a word to do with inner healing. It was a word to do with revolution that he was bringing to the end. I want you to imagine what it was like in the Roman Empire, which was really the, the world, the bigger world, into which Christianity had to spread and to take root. Did you know that in the Roman Empire, up until the age of eight, children were not considered human? Up until the age of eight, your father or whoever was the head of the household, they had the authority to decide whether you lived or died. And you were likely to die if you were disabled, if you were illegitimate, or if you were a girl. If you were a girl, it was more than likely that your back would be broken and you'd be flung in the rubbish heap. If you were disabled or illegitimate, you would be exposed on the hillside, just for whatever fate came to you. Can you imagine the difference? As the love of God that had been revealed within God's people, the Jews, and then narrowed down to Jesus, and now the light began to spread into a culture like that. It revolutionized the whole of culture. It revolutionized the whole empire. Children were given a place that they never had before. John Ortberg simply says this, there were no children's clubs before Jesus. That's a good way of summing it up. And maybe some of you who've been involved in children's clubs think, oh God, could we not go back to these days? <laughs> but there were no clubs for children before Jesus. Have you ever realized the really revolutionary thing about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus? It wasn't simply that she wasn't helping in the kitchen. It was that she was doing what had been reserved for male people. She was sitting at the feet of a rabbi. And women weren't supposed to do that. And bit by bit, the light of Jesus spread. So that the very interesting thing is that in the empire, because of the practice of killing female babies, in the empire as a whole, there were less women. In the church, there were more women than men. Because this message of light came into all this terrible darkness and started to spread. Think of, for example, of the story of Jesus at the woman at the, woman at the well in John chapter 4, that the Jews despised the Samaritans. The Samaritans despised the time that this encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well met. They called it Sychar, which means drunkenness or liars. So the Jews despised the Samaritans. The Samaritans despised this town of their own people. 
And within that despise of the despised, there was this despised woman. So she was the despised of the despised of the despised. And yet Jesus comes. And he tells her the Father is looking for her. So bit by bit, this revolution spreads. And bit by bit, the whole of society is affected. And the Roman Empire is turned upside down. If I've heard anything from the Lord for tonight, it's more about the ethos that we must never forget. We're not the armies of Caesar. We're the armies of the Lamb. And I think that's sort of the word that God wants me to bring. We're actually the armies of the Lamb. Back in the 1990s when God released fresh life into his people, there was a lot of talk about lions and I had a prophetic word about a lion. But can we remember this? That as in heaven, so on earth. In heaven, the lion looks like a lamb. And what we're to be fierce about here and now is giving all our loyalties to the lamb and to follow him wheresoever he goes. And to love not our own lives, even unto the dead. What does it mean to be followers of the Lamb? I think in terms of comparing the culture of Caesar with the culture of the Lamb. It means something very, very simple. Jesus, we read in Philippians chapter 2, he, he didn't seek to hold on to power. That was what Rome sought to hold on to. But he humbled himself. And became a real human being. Do you know what the word human comes from? It comes from the word humus. Do you know what the word humus means? It means soiled. Jesus actually left highest heaven. And he didn't just walk about in the soil of the earth. He actually knelt in the soil of the earth. And washed where other people's feet had picked up the most damage and the most dirt from that soil. Caesar's empire was about climbing up the ladder and gaining influence. The land went the other way. He went into a place of no recognition. He actually went into a place of zero 
influence. And yet somehow in going there, he overturned an infant. You don't find Jesus saying to some of his aides, set up a meeting with me with Pilate, will you? Set up a meeting with the Sanhedrin. Let's get in touch with the people of influence so that we can spread our cause. Jesus had influence, but it wasn't through seeking it. It was through being completely counter-cultural to the empire. I've only twice had dreams about meeting people that I've never met before, and one of them was somebody involved in the Lewis revival, and I'd often longed to meet them. And uh, I had this dream one night of a person meeting a person, and then this person actually arrived at my door the next day. It's a person I'd read about in the revival and always longed to meet. But the dream had been a warning. Not a warning against him, but a warning that I would be so infatuated with him that I would follow him in the direction of his ministry. The only other time I've had a warning dream about meeting a person, I actually met them not terribly long ago, and this was a person with great influence over young people. And I knew from the dream that they were leading them in a wrong direction. They were leading them to seek recognition. I wonder if there's some of us here who feel that we need recognized. Do we realize that all we need to do is wash feet? And if we wash feet, all the doors that need to open will open. We're not Caesar's army. Were the armies of the land. We don't need to seek influence. We just need to wash feet and we'll have it. I want to suggest to you two or three ways that that can happen. I'm, I'm glad that this sort of ties on, but I, I think one of the things that was mentioned this morning was about hospitality and creating a space. That's a word that God gave me for tonight. Hospitality. Hospitality is not so much about cooking meals. We, we may be into that, we may not be into that. That didn't seem to be the sort of hospitality Jesus was particularly looking for from Martha. Hospitality is about making space for somebody. If I go off to speak at a conference and I, I stay in somebody's house rather than a hotel, I, I actually feel quite unwelcome if I go into the spare room, which is fine, but, but I open the wardrobe and there's no space for my things. 
nobody's even cleared a bottle of wardrobe. Or I look for a drawer and there's no drawer sticks. That's not actually hospitality. Hospitality makes room for the other person. Here's something to test yourself by. But when you're with another person, can you can you clear the floor of you? Can you keep you out of it? So that all states is given to men. I was um, speaking to somebody who was telling me about uh, an encounter with Satanists. And it was just this uh, last week. And you know, everything in me was itching to tell my best story about meeting Satanists. Because it was better than their story. <laughs> but I never told them that. Because I felt even this last week, the Lord was asking me to put this into practice. Can you keep yourself in your story? out and give all the space to them. And because I kept myself out and I didn't bring in these dreaded words, oh, I know exactly how you feel. The space was open to them completely. And the sharing went deeper and deeper. And I felt a lie that Satan had told them for most of their life was exposed. When you create hospitality, keep your own story back. Will you honour another person and seek to recognise them rather than get them to recognise you? Will you help another person? Will you get down on the soil and kneel beneath their soiled feet? This is going to become particularly relevant in coming years when the Lord will bring in prosperous people and even political people. And the challenge here is will we use them or will we serve them? Morag and I were in an Islamic country a, a few years ago. We found ourselves in a government minister's bomb-proof car. But we didn't use that situation to gain influence. We simply wanted to wash his feet. And we asked him what we could do for 
anyway. Not what doors could he open for us. But what could we do for him? And it turned out that what we were looking at was a desperately worried father. Who was simply terrified for his children. This is the great challenge. Are we going to climb the ladder like the ethos of the empire of Caesar? Or are we going to go down the ladder and kneel even beneath people's feet? Not crowding them out with my story. Not looking for what doors they could open for us. But what can we do to serve you, to wash your feet, to honour you as a precious, unique human being? God is just to sit still for a moment. Let's just shut our eyes. Let's just be honest. Which empire are we part of? Caesar's empire? Recognize me, notice me. Climbing the ladder of influence. <coughs> or going down below the lowest rung. That's Philippians 2. Jesus went below the lowest rung. He went lower than the earth. Because he went there, God lifted him up and exalted him. God will do all the opening doors and exalting and bringing you to the fore. He knows where you live. <coughs> Think of Stephen Angela and even myself just when we were living up in the north of Scotland. They've been to umpteen countries when it was the right thing and God opened the doors. I've been to quite a few. You don't, you don't need, it doesn't matter where you live. I used to think, here am I in the north of Scotland. I felt the call of God to go other places. And how, would it, how would I come to folks' notice, as it were? And God just, oh, he just showed me how unworthy that was. He said, Kenny, I know where you stay. Just lean into the call. You don't need to make it happen. You'll make it happen. So are we. We're going to be the armies of the land. So serving, washing feet, that overturned an empire. <coughs> That can overturn a culture again. Don't 
know if you noticed your extras second in bed on June the 30th this year. It's a leap second it's called. It's the, the, the earth doesn't rotate at quite 24 hours. It's a bit more, a bit less. Sometimes it speeds up and sometimes it slows down. So they have to add on an extra second. So it's all the different methods of timekeeping tally again. You know, in that second, Walter Buffett, the investor, made $256. In a second. At the same time, the poorest employed workers on the earth made one thousandth of a penny. God's kingdom always breaks through amongst the poor. And that's why when churches get bigger, richer, powerful, or get powerful in a nation, the, the center of Christianity moves. That's why it's moved to the global south. It's not America or the UK anymore. Because of what Jesus said, blessed are those who have the spirit of the poor. That's what the word means. It's about economic poverty. <coughs> For theirs is the kingdom. You dare to live from where you're poor. That's where true fellowship begins. Not at the place of gifting. We're at the place where we're poor and weak. That's where the kingdom breaks through. That's the way of the Lamb. So whatever else we've heard today, I think I'm talking about ethos. Is it the Lamb or Caesar? Is it up the ladder or down the ladder? Is it about believing I'll be happiest when I'm noticed at the place of my talent or gifting? Or being happy that where I feel poorest and most inadequate, the power of God seems to break through. It's about establishing a church that really has the same values of the world. Or have we got hold of the cry, how long till there's justice in the earth? Justice is the mark of God's kingdom, not healing, not deliverance. These are part of it, but justice. For a world in which one man can make $256 in a second, and others a thousand for the penny. It's the armies of the land. Dare to meet at the place of our poverty. And meet others, even the prosperous and the politicians, at the point of their poverty. 
Together we might become rich in the things of God's kingdom. Caesar of Jesus. simply pray that whatever you've spoken into our hearts this day, it would not be robbed or taken away the way that Satan can come and take away the kingdom seat before we receive it into our hearts. And we pray it be fruitful and some of us thirtyfold, and others sixtyfold, and others a hundredfold. And we pray it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Um, just wonder if we could stand at this point almost through and we can have the, the song up, the March of the Armies of the Lord. I used to be in a cadet corps. I was uh, the smallest sergeant major in its history. And uh, well, let's, let's remember we're meant to be you know, UK Christians or not necessarily American Christians or anything like that. Want to see what God wants to do in Scotland. But uh, having said that, this is an American Marine marching song. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna start marching. I don't mean they wrote it, they wrote it, but it's an American Marine marching style song. So can we start marching with our feet? Okay.